Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of True Wealth Investors Podcast. Glad to have you. I am Chad Harris, and today I am joined by Chris Mayfield, my co-host, who you are very familiar with and uh, have heard him speak on many episodes. And our guest today is Christopher Childs with Primetime Investments out of Houston, Texas. And you're going to be inspired by his story and what he's been able to accomplish. So welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. All right. Chris, go ahead. You know, you know Christopher's backstory a little bit better, so take the lead. Well, I'll, I'll just, I mean, it's, it's an honor just to get to sit down and talk with him anytime because you never think, Christopher was in my youth ministry, student ministry in Houston, Texas. And uh, I don't know, two or three years ago, I just see a post out of nowhere that says, hey, I bought an apartment complex. And I'd been thinking about it myself. You know, I'm, in, I'm not in that world. And I'm like, whoa, one of my former students, Henry, you know, so I just reached out and we reconnected and uh, just heard a story. But yeah, he'll, he'll tell it more. But I've known him since I think we said maybe 12, 11, 12 years old. Right. Yeah. And how old are you today? I'm now 37. I am old. <laughs> <laughs> but I look young, right? I look young. That's right. That's yeah. So Christopher, tell us a little bit about kind of what just initial, and then we'll go backwards, you know, kind of who are you and what are you doing right now? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Christopher Childs. I, I live in Houston, Texas, currently uh, going to soon be re- relocating my family to New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, I own Primetime Investments. It's a multifamily asset management company. And right now I purchase and syndicate multifamily properties. And I just recently closed my fourth one this week. So I, I own four properties consisting of 288 total units right now. All right. So that's what you do um, real quick day to day. You know what? No, let's just go back. So tell us the journey, right? Um, you didn't start in real estate. Um, you graduated with a degree in what? It was a general business degree, emphasis, okay. corporate communication. And where did that take you? I'm sorry? Where did that take you? So uh, post-college, I moved back to Houston and got involved in oil and gas. Big surprise, the Houston market. That's that's one of the big jobs there. But it gave me a good opportunity. I got in with a really good company. I uh, got involved in supply chain. I did a lot of international travel overseas to Israel and Africa. Uh, gained a lot of experience. And then from there, I moved to another company here in Houston. It's a large pipeline company downtown. And I managed the inventory for them. So um, gained a lot of access and uh, knowledge from the industry that helped propel me then into real estate when I made the jump. So there's a little connection there because Chad, you spent time in Africa. Where where were you, Chris, in Africa? Uh, I, I went to Equatorial Guinea, West Africa. Okay. Right. Where were you, Chad? I was in Kenya, East Africa. Okay. So you probably were even there some of the same time, I bet. Might have been. <laughs> I was there a lot. <laughs> All right. So you're in the oil and gas. You're kind of motoring along like most people in corporate, you know, right. nine to five business. How does real estate jump up and bite you? Well, so I'd always had an interest in it. And I always knew that I wanted something more than uh, just corporate life for the rest of my life. Um, so started gaining some interest in it, chatting with some people, got a couple buddies. And in 2012, we went in together and all purchased a single family house. And it was really scary at the time, but we, we did it. Uh, we owned it for four years and ended up selling it for an unbelievable gain. And afterwards, since I've gained some more experience and knowledge, realized I did a lot of things wrong. <laughs> I did almost everything wrong and it still worked out successful. So that was the initial taste into it. But then in 2016 is when I really started my knowledge and then also uh, starting taking action as far as purchasing real estate. So, okay. So you did a single family. Did you do any other single family before you jumped into multi? I did. Yes. In 2016, I bought an additional three single family properties. Okay. And did you just flip them, keep them? What'd you do with them? Well, and so the the first one was actually a horror story. So uh, this could scare a lot of people away and it should have scared me away from real estate in general. So um, in early 2016, I bought my first single family house. My wife was pre- pregnant at the time, mind you. 
And um, I bought it. I was all excited. I put the rent sign in, fr in front. I got it cleaned up. It was ready to go. I was all proud. I owned it for one week, literally one week. And I was in the gym. I get all these calls from these weird numbers and I don't know what it is. I get out to my car after the gym and I have these voicemails that there is water. It was a two-story house. There's water leaking from the outside second floor down. So I freak out. I run, uh, get in my car, drive all the way over there. It was a pretty good little drive, like over 30 minutes. And I show up. Basically, what happened is it got vandalized. Someone broke, uh, some kids, high school kids broke in the night before, trashed the place, punched holes in the walls, and then ultimately kicked the uh, piping line to the toilet upstairs and it completely flooded the entire house. The second floor collapsed to the first floor. So <laughs> that was my introduction to real estate. I, I'm wow. laughing now. I wouldn't be laughing if you were oh, telling me. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, man. So, but it did, it, it did end nicely. There was a large insurance claim. I was able to get, it, it was stressful to go through, but I got it done. We got everything fixed up at the house. And then I actually sold it a month later after fixing it for a 43% gain than what I paid for it. So there you go. yeah, turned out really positive. We go through the horror to get the money. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So do you target that now? Do you put banded signs out saying copper piping or? <laughs> I don't, I bought a, I bought two other single family houses in a different area of town. Um, <laughs> I rented those just for cash flow, and I've since sold them because uh, I'm my full and sole focus right now is multifamily. Sure. You know, it's crazy though, with everything that you hear right now, you literally could teach a, teach a course on um, how to deal with you know, house tragedies and insurance companies and still make a profit. And there's guys out doing that. Right. Chad, you're gonna you're gonna ask something. Oh, I was curious when you you know you bought this first uh, house, first property, it gets trashed mm -hmm. the first week you own it. And then you decide to go buy other properties, you know, what did everybody around you think? Did they were they real encouraging and supportive? Did they think you were crazy? That, that, that's a great question. So my wife has always been ultra supportive of me, but she was freaking out. She's pregnant at the time and she was doing just a couple months. And um, so whenever I said that I wanted to keep going, she was a little tentative, but she's always very supportive of me. But ultimately the biggest thing that I had is because whenever it first happened to me, I kind of wanted the poor pitiful me sob story. And uh, I had a couple of uh, new friends that I had that were in the real estate industry and I called them and I, I kind of played that sob story and I wanted them to feel bad for me. And instead I got the complete opposite from both of them. Um, they, they One put a total positive spin and said, this is gonna be awesome. You're gonna get insurance and you're gonna end up <laughs> being okay with this. And so that made me feel better. And then another friend basically slapped me across the phone and said, get with it, you're gonna recover. You know, This is part of it and you just push through it and be successful. And it was not expected, but those two phone calls is what I needed to hear at that time. And it's pushed me through and I'm, I did turn it into a success and I've just kept going since. That's awesome. Yeah. That is cool. So you're at three properties and how then does it kind of move over a little bit into multi from some single family? Right. So I got the single family experience. I did everything myself. I, I rented them out myself. I didn't use any realtors or anything like that. I wanted to, to learn and, and, you know, get the experience firsthand. So from there, uh, my plan was to start in multifamily investment, but I wasn't ready at that time to jump in buying myself. So I, I started uh, passively investing. And uh, I, right there in 2016, I passively invested in three multifamily deals. So tell me what that means for, for the viewers out there. You're passively investing. What, what was the process there? What did you do? So someone else is the syndicator. They're putting the deal together and they're raising funds for it. And um, from there, I just became a limited partner investing money into the, into the deal and having a small percentage ownership of the apartment. And All then, right, so how did you find this group? So uh, th this is a group that I joined in 2016 and it's called Lifestyles Unlimited. It, they're w very well known throughout the United States and it's a mentorship networking group. And um, I just bought in right out the gate. Uh, they, they provide a lot of good information for new uh, people, beginners in, in the industry. And I just soaked it up and, and went all in in 2016 with this. So what's a syndicator? Uh, syndicator is the one that puts together the deal. They're, they're the, uh, the ownership. They find the deal. They uh, put together all the PPM investment documents that go out and they actually raise the funds to close the property. 
So just to differentiate, Chad and I right now are in single family, even though I one day want to be in multi and I'm sure Chad does too. Chad and I put deals together all the time. We find the deal, we find the money, but we're not syndicators. What, how do you differentiate? What, what hoops have they jumped to become a syndicator? Well, so single family, I was just purchasing by myself. I, I would do the same thing. I would find the house. I would put the offer in, get the loan and just buy it in, in my own name. So the syndicator, you actually move, when you move into the multifamily, these are larger, you know, into the million dollar plus uh, size properties. And you're actually just raising the funds and they're investing within your entity LLC to, to purchase these properties. Okay. So a syndicator has to go out and do a few more legal hoops. Um, I kind of am familiar, but I want to make sure, you know, people that are getting involved in this, you know, understand that this person is jumping through a, a lot more legalities to put themselves in a place to walk up to a company who owns a multifamily to say, hey, you know, if I just said, hey, I want to go buy this multifamily, they're, I'm guessing someone's going to laugh at me and say, but you're not, you know, you don't have any legal backing. Um, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yes, yeah. And the, the syndicator actually takes a lot of risk as well. Uh, to When they're finding these deals, there's a lot of costs that are included for uh, attorney fees going through the contract, the earnest money down uh, when you're doing due diligence, any, any vendors that you have out there and you're all fronting that money. And if the deal does not happen, if you don't get it closed, you're out that money. The, the passive investors that are coming in are not out that money. So the syndicator does have the risk that they're taking on to put these deals together. Well, and you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of these episodes I've talked about private money and Chris and I've talked a lot about private money and with a single family home, if you have one private lender, like the bank, it's very simple, right? Simple documents. Um, but when you start getting into syndication, you have multiple people, right? You don't have one lender to one deal. And, you know, what's involved in filing the paperwork um, for that syndication? How many roles do you normally have in the syndication? How many people are involved? You know, I think until you're around those people and you hear it explained, it, it's hard to comprehend exactly what a syndication looks like, what the structure is, who's involved, um, things like that. Yeah, that, that's a great question. There is a lot to it. It is a team sport. I'm a control freak. I like doing everything myself. I need I, that's something I need to work on individually to try to relinquish some of that. But um, as far there's a lot of people that are that are on your side through these deals. I have a mortgage broker that assists with the loan structure, the loan options that I'm going to use to put together. I've done agency debt with you know through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Um, now going through a refinance with HUD, but you know uh, trying to determine the best loan structure for it. I have an SEC attorney that I use, and I also have a, a, a contract attorney that reviews my contract. Uh, usually you have your broker, your realtor broker that help find the deal, that helps support you throughout the transaction. So there's a lot of pieces throughout. And then I have third-party property management at all of my properties. So I'm very in tune working with them throughout the entire process, making sure that we agree on everything as we go through. Okay. So, so you're doing your single families, you decide to get involved and you go all in with Lifestyles Unlimited to, to one, join that network, two, learn everything you can. Of course, three, which is really number one, network, be connected right. with any and everybody involved in this, because ultimately that's where it's going to lead to is the, the relationships to the deals. Then you said, I think you passively involved in three different ones. Um, what does that mean? How much money are you putting up to be passively involved and in letting somebody else take all the risk and lead in syndication? Sure. There's, there's, there's different uh, numbers out there. Usually the PPM will state the minimum investment level. Uh, my first one that I, I, I jumped into was 50,000. Then I did a 25,000 and then I got hooked and I loved it so much that I started pulling funds and everything else I could. And I did another $50,000 investment. So total 125,000 that first year in just passive investments into these properties. Okay. Sure. So doing passive. What's a, what's a ahead, PPM real quick, just for anybody? Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's the abbreviation PPM for private placement memorandum. And that is what the PPM SEC attorney puts together for me. And that has all the stipulations, the rules of the entity, the goals, the projections that, that we're going to do and the legal, you know, verbiage for the contracts. So what, what allows you to raise the money? 
Right. It, it states the minimum the minimum investment, maximum investment, the minimum amount, the goal to be raised, the maximum goal to be raised, and that type of information. Sure. So you've got single families. Now you decide to take another step and use your cash to to get involved in multifamily, but you're not necessarily leading at this point. Mm-hmm. Now take us through that point of what is it that rattles you to say it's time for you to take the lead. It's time for you to put yourself on the line, raise the money, find the deal. What What's there? Tell us that story. Yeah. I, I always knew that that's the route I wanted to go, that I wanted to be the one putting these together. And um, I just wanted the, the education piece first. So started single family, then passively investing. I wanted to see how other people were putting it together, their communication that they were doing. So I can learn the things that they, that they were doing that I like, that I dislike, that if I'm going to be doing this, you know, I sat on the other side of the fence. So um, all the while too, though, throughout this whole time frame, I'm still working full-time oil and gas. I also have a young son. So it's just, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, but um, made a lot of sacrifices to, to start this. There was a lot of education things that I did, a lot of networking things that I went to. Um, in 2017, before we kicked it off, my wife and I actually became IROP certified. That's Independent Rental Owner Professional through the Houston Apartment Association and also LEED certified through this, the, the group that I'm a part of, Lifestyles Unlimited. So those two designations show that, that I was motivated and that I had, that I had the um, experience and knowledge to then move forward with purchasing my own multifamily. So you're, you're going to tell us your first one. What does LEED certified mean? Uh, LEED certified is through Lifestyles Unlimited, and there's courses and education that you have to do to be certified through that program to then begin uh, moving that, forward. That's telling that network he has been 100% trained by this group to take on the lead role of syndication to put a deal together. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you do all that, but do you still, do you have a complex, do you have a multifamily in mind when you're doing that, or you're just educating ready for that? Uh, it started educating um, at the end of 2017, like late, late 2017, I started the search. Um, it rolled into 2018. They're kind of uh, February, March timeframe of 20, uh, let's see, 2018, a deal did start popping up. I, uh, I thought I was going to get it, put a contract. It was in Victoria, Texas. And uh, ultimately we were had an agreement, but then it fell out of contract. They got an offer from someone else that was a little higher. I was devastated because I spent a lot of time on it. I was really excited to, to get in and get my first one. And so um, uh, lost that deal. But um, so I kept searching, but I maintained a good relationship with everybody on that side. And 30 days later, I actually got a phone call that it fell out of contract that the other buyer backed out and they brought it back to me and asked if I was interested. And I was like, oh yes. <laughs> so um, it ended up being kind of middle of 2018 and we ended up closing September of 2018 on my first property. So real quick, you you, you don't buy apartments, you're passively involved in apartments. Um, how do you go about, I know how I do it. How do you go about finding a, a owner or ownership group who is even open to sell in an apartment complex. And, and it is difficult. Everybody always says your first one is the hardest and that is the truth. And especially when I was working full-time, it was even extra difficult. And so what I was doing is I was using my, my networking group. And then I was also trying to get as many contacts of brokers in the area that I could. And what I, what I did is I would leave during lunch. I would schedule uh, appointments with them and I would leave during lunch, use my lunch break and go drive to their offices to meet with them and show them how serious I was. And I would spend my hour meeting with them and then drive back to the office <laughs> and keep doing the corporate grind. But so I how do they I, I, contacts? I want to stop you right there. How do how um the, the, the keep mowing mind, I gotta believe that most of them aren't giving you the time of the day because you're not a known commodity, you're not a known buyer. Uh, why would I work with this young guy when I can go over here to this group and I know they can close? That's very true, and that happens all the time. And so I just had to be persistent. If they weren't answering the first time, I would call two, three, four times until I finally got them on the phone and could get something scheduled. And it was it, one of those finally months later came to fruition. Uh, she had called me back, this broker that I had went and met her at her office and said that, hey, I have this one if you're interested and uh, went immediately and drove out there and toured it. Hmm. So you find, So the Victoria one was the first one? That is correct. Yeah, it's 58 yeah. units in Victoria. Okay, so kind of walk us through that. They, they come back to you. You've got a contract. Now, I have to ask, um, you had a contract. They took a better offer. 
the guy offered more to get you out of the way, then backs out. When they come back to you, do you stick with your offer or do you go down a little bit? That's a good question. So they, they called me back and I said, heck yes, I am in, but at my original offer. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I did get it at the original offer price, okay. which was 2.9 million. So take us through kind of an abbreviated, uh, you under contract to closing. What does that look like? Yep. So uh, went out there, did the initial look, I liked it. I put it what's called an LOI letter of intent in for the property that has just the general terms of uh, what the contract will state yeah, as offer price and those type things. And, um, and then from there it got accepted. And then my attorneys went with their attorneys just working out the official contract. And then once we got under contract, I had a 30 day due diligence. And that is my time frame where I have the 30 days to go out there and walk the units and as many as I can see things on the property, uh, have the roofs checked, the plumbing line scope, those type things to get as much information to know what I'm going to be stepping into when we take over. Is there cost involved in what you were doing, like scoping and all of that? There is. Yes, there is cost involved for all of this. But I got to believe that you're not going to put that money out there unless one, you believe it's a good deal and two, this thing can get finished. Correct. Yeah. And the only reason I would ever walk away is if there was a major, major issue with plumbing, that would be $100,000. And then if the seller would not be willing to work and negotiate some type of terms uh, to, to get the deal closed. That's, that's and I, really the reason. And I got one more and then Chad, you can jump in. So, so purchase price was what? 2.9 million. It didn't matter. Okay. So 2.9. So everybody's out there going 2.9 million. Okay. So how much of that do you got to put down to get this amount of units? So, so for this one, um, on all deals, uh, you, you had your closing cost, uh, the the difference of the, the loan, um, the loan to value, then I raise for rehab and operating capital. And so um, all of those are, are raised up front. And then I actually had a pretty hefty rehab for this one. For just 58 units, I had a $290,000 rehab that I did. And we did an extensive overhaul change of it. Exterior, um, added a playground set, redid the entire pool, new pool furniture. I built a, a outdoor kitchen grilling covered area offset to the pool. Uh, we did redid all the fencing around the property, repainted new, new paint on the doors, uh, new awnings above the doors. So it just, it really changed and made this property pop. Well, and so I'm, I'm, I'm building a case here because I know people are going, yeah, I'm not going to do this, but so 200,000, 290,000, at least for rehab, not to mention the the down that you got to put to even get the place right uh, closing costs it's getting large right so i don't you don't have to give us exact numbers but i'm thinking a ballpark of is it 400 500,000 no so i i can give you exact numbers i raised 1.3 million dollars for this deal okay so that's where i want to get to so people right now are turning it off going yep not going to do this 1.3 <laughs> so what gave you the confidence to know there i you know what I'm saying? You're not bringing all the money. So mm -hmm. you got to raise 1.3, I think you said. Yes. So how do you do that? What are you doing? How, yeah, you the first deal, that's a great question. The first deal was difficult. It was a grind. It was, uh, it was going into the deal. It was all of what I did beforehand, all of my networking events, meeting people, building my potential investor list, having a, a pretty broad list to, to go to with this deal. Also, I invested 75,000 personally in this deal. My father, who was the key principal, um, and he also invested in the deal as well. So we had a couple hundred thousand dollars of, of family money into this deal. And, you know, and, but with, with me having a full-time job, that did make it a little difficult to raise the funds, you know, not gonna so lie. How do you do that? What do you, how do you, how do you ask somebody for $1.3 million? Yeah, so uh, I, I put the deal together. I spent a lot of time on what's called my investment summary. And that's basically just an overall uh, guide of the property. It includes pictures and it includes what my plans are of what we're gonna do, how we're gonna improve the property, how we're gonna improve the income and ultimately improve the value. And I would just get on the phone and you know, ultimately you just have to sell people kind of, but I mean, it's something that I truly believed in and you know, ultimately did get the raise done and I raised the full $1.3 million to close the deal. So what does a person, if a person, you, earlier you said you gave 50,000 to be a passive investor. So, so I say, hey, Chris, I wanna do $50,000 on this. Um, what's my return and when am I getting that return and how does it come to me? Yep, and every deal is different. For this one specifically, I, I had projected a three to seven year term hold 
And um, I, I had projections of 7% cash on cash return annually, but then ultimately, uh, and I've far out beaten this and I can, we can talk about it after, but my original projection was a 50% return of original investment at, at year four. So that, that would have been 2022. So if you put in 50,000, you were making 7%, plus you were gonna get 25,000 uh, plus your original contribution. And when am I getting that 7%? Weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, every quarter? Quarterly. Sure. So with a rehab, like 10% of the purchase price, um, I'm imagining you've got to raise the rents uh, with that that major overhaul of the property? That's correct. So uh, improving the property, adding amenities, improve, improving the actual look and feel that we changed the signs, um, and then also improving the interiors. We did vinyl plank flooring throughout, repaint, uh, black appliances, and resurfacing the countertops. Just made, it, made them look a lot nicer, provided more value to the interiors. And uh, ultimately, we were able to drive and raise rents even larger than what I had originally projected. That's awesome. So what was, once you were able to raise the rents, what was the value of that property? So uh, it's really good timing for this. I'm actually going through a refinance today right now with HUD. And we just probably about a month ago got our appraisal on it. And so I purchased it in 2018 for 2.9 million, which was 50,000 a door. And the appraisal that I just got was 5,350,000, which is over 90,000 a door. Man. Let me ask you a question. I love it. You're, That's awesome. You're, you're <laughs> refining, right? You're this refining. Is Correct. So, so we're, what we're will that mean? What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for the investors, the passive investors? Yeah. So great. So, so the refinance, it pulls out a, a lot of cash and I'm able to pay out and make a large distribution to all investors in the deal. Yet they still have their original investment and we will continue ownership. So there will still be distributions. And then ultimately at the end of the life cycle of the property, when we sell, they'll get their original money back and any other gain that we can add on. Gotcha. So you are keeping that one. Yes. This will be a long-term hold. And what, and so that was my last question on that is, what determines refi as opposed to the three to seven years sell? Yeah, so so this one um, I had projected a year four, um, but we, we were able to achieve everything much faster. So it's just been a little over two years and I'm gonna be, and I had originally projected 50% return. It's gonna be very conservatively and I'm a conservative person. So I even, now that this is longer term hold, I'm gonna hold back a lot of extra, extra money in, in our operating capital, but even ultra, ultra conservative, I'm gonna pay at least a 75% uh, payout uh, upwards to a hundred percent to all investors that's after cool. just a little over two years. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I like single families. Obviously, that's what I'm in. But just the fact that with the multifamily, you can um, push that valuation up by making the rents higher or the property run more efficiently. Right. It's just, I mean, that's an amazing opportunity. So, right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You have anything, Chad? Yeah, I'm thinking I got to start oh. looking for apartments. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you complete it. Um, what, one question before we move off your first deal. Uh, I know Victoria, Texas. That's not Houston. That's not San Antonio. That's not Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, I know you're a control freak. How do you deal with? Um, uh, or how do you make the decision on what your rent's going to go up to? And does that freak you out that you could lose 50% of your, of your renters or something just like, uh, we're not doing that? A, a little bit. It's a lot of market analysis and uh, market comps, doing some research, seeing what's out there in the market. Also knowing what, you're, uh, what the service and product that you're providing. Um, and then my, my property is in a fantastic location in Victoria. It's right across the street from the football stadium in Victoria. So that's high traffic area. Right next door is a church and the the fire department, so it, it couldn't be in a better location. And then that two years is it is it you bought? Did you buy it and rent stayed the same and you didn't raise until after rehab, or was it a a every six months you're raising rents? How when are you doing that? Uh, it wasn't all at once. Uh, at any time, it, it was over time as the units would turn. So as a unit would turn, we would go in there, do an interior upgrade, improve it. And then we would test the market too and just see what we can get and, and try to keep pushing. And find what was out. the average raise? Was it $50, $100? Uh, 
Um, on, on some of those units, it was $50 to $100 that our biggest uh, one that we saw, and this is where I had projected our greatest opportunity on the front of the property facing the front uh, on the street that looks out to the football stadium, there was 14 townhouse units. So it's a two, one and a half, and they were beautiful units and they were only getting $1,099 a month. And I, we went in and did extreme rehabs on the interiors, improving them. They have an outdoor um, little patio area that leads into the pool section. And we, we achieved 1,250 and then we are actually up to 1,300 per one now. So that's cool. Really large rental increases for those. Yeah, sure. So with you being the, the syndicator, just last question on structure, how much ownership stake do you keep uh, you personally as the syndicator? Right. So it's a GPLP setup. And so for all of them, I, I have an override that, that I take uh, for being the syndicator and, and running and putting everything together. And it's been a gradual step up uh, for, for me. Um, just, you know, as a first deal, you don't have the experience and like that. So it was 5% on the first deal. And then I'm up now to on my deals where it's a 15%. And I, I'm probably going to level out at that. I know there's ones that go up a lot higher than that, but you know, I, I try to make it as attractive to investors as possible and you know, want, want to make it a beneficial thing for everybody involved. Yeah. And that's a, that's, that's a key. And if you, regardless of what real estate you're going to get into, you're going to need money. And if the deal is right, the money will be there. But if it's not a, a I'm not saying, you know, I think people love conservative over risky. I was talking with some, some Chick-fil-A owners and we asked them, would you guys rather make big money quick or do you want the long steady, you know, and these guys are all doing very well. And their answer was, no, we want the long and steady. And I think if you don't take advantage of your investors, right, they're going to stick with you because one, you're serving them by doing all the work, but two, you're not taking advantage or being selfish and just kind of hoarding it all to yourself. Right. Exactly. So you get done with this deal. Obviously, um, are you freaking out or are you and your wife happy once everything's good or what? Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't say freaking out. I was more happy. I was excited. I'd been waiting for almost a year to, to get one. And so finally got it. Um, just went all in. It was like I said, it was a lot of sacrifice. I had a full time job and uh, I, I would use my vacation days to make trips down to the property and you know working nights and things like that so um went all in and I, shortly thereafter I, I found out i really loved it what i was doing well sure and so the the historically when you talk to people that have stuck with it it's kind of once you do that first deal you're like immediately thinking about the second mm -hmm. so where are you now how long was it from closing that one that you went under contract or wrote that loi on the next one very fast. <laughs> so this was September of 18, went in right away. We uh, The rehab projected was six months. I completed it in three. So we was able to get the property stabilized and then ultimately moved to the second deal and got under contract early 2019 and closed April 16th of 2019 on my second property, which is 36 units in West Columbia, Texas. Awesome. And then how much longer before the third one? So <laughs> this, I, I got a lot of flack for this because I am a little crazy person. I, like, whenever I get on something, I, you know, I, I go all in. I, I, and plus, I was really enjoying what I was doing. And plus, I, I had a lot of uh, motivation because I knew that I wanted to ultimately get out of corporate America and do this full time. So we closed. This is kind of funny. We closed April 16th of 2019. I got under contract the very next day for the next property, which uh, ultimately closed in late June of 2019. And that's 104 units in San Marcos, Texas, right outside of Austin. And I think that's about the time you and I really started talking. That, that's about right. You were in the middle of the third one. Yes. Um, and so how has that one worked out? That, that, that one's good. I mean, so we, we closed late 2019. Uh, there was a little bit of an occupancy issue at TakeOver. We were able to get it back up about February of 2020. Had it above 90%. Things were trending, looking really good. And then all of a sudden in March, a little thing named COVID happened. So uh, it really pumped the brakes and just uh, really tried to maintain running the property, bat battle all the COVID issues and impact on the, that market. And, uh, you know, I'm a really conservative person. So I like holding a lot of operating capital and making sure that our investment is safe and protected. And we, we rode the storm and, and we're sitting just fine now. And 
rolling into 2021. So I have to ask, uh, um, two story collapsing water, yes. right? COVID, what was you and your bride's approach to COVID as opposed to that one? Yeah. So, uh, the, the, honestly, the very, the worst one was the first one out the gate. Cause I just was, um, so green in the real estate industry and didn't know to expect it. By the time I got to that third deal, you just realize, I mean, th- th- it's not an easy industry there. It, it's IAS. It's always something. There is always something. In the- I'm taking that. I'm taking that. <laughs> Go ahead, Cause it's true. There is always something and some things that'll just make it is unbelievable what some people do and how they live and things that happen, but you just got to push through them. I mean, they're going to happen and you just got to prepare yourself at, at this property in Victoria. Uh, this here in early 2021, I had someone drive through into their unit and knocking the brick out and all kinds of things. So <laughs> things happen. <laughs> but I bet, I bet now though, when you're driving with your wife to dinner and you get that and you're like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> you're like, crap, I got to do some more work now. <laughs> but you, know. you got to laugh. You have to yeah. laugh for a second because it's still better than sitting in your cubicle. It is. Listening to a boss do something that you're ticked off about. This is your problem. Um, it was. It takes me back to church planning. A uh, mm-hmm. guy said, you know, I started a church. If I started a church, I created the problems. So I know how to fix them. But if I go with a church that's had, you know, eight pastors, there are historical problems that I wasn't even around. But if I go start something, if I own something, I control that. Now, the bad thing is it's probably my fault, but at least I know whose fault it is. And then I, I know what I can do to course correct. Right. You know, so you, there is some, it, yeah, it's always something, but at least it's something that you understand. And now you just got, and, and I tell people to, to do this in any kind of real estate, you know, it's a, uh, I think a Chad helped me because I couldn't figure out the way to do it, but it, it's a frat, right? F-R-A-T, but that R is so important. F is faithful. A is available. T, you better be teachable. But that R, I think people always forget, and that's being resourceful. Mm-hmm. Right, a problem comes up. Are you a resourceful person that can say, "Okay, we can figure this out"? I just got to call somebody. I got to ask somebody, you know. But there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a. Um, it can be solved. It might not be solved by me, but I can find somebody. Which probably goes back to why it was so important that you networked, right? Because there's somebody out there that's dealt with whatever it is you're about to go through. For sure. Yeah, I think that's a huge. Just listening to your story, that's a big. Uh moral you know when you raised money for that first deal you were calling people and giving them the pitch presenting the opportunity but it was essentially they invested not only because of the opportunity but because you'd been meeting with them in the networking groups and you'd already been laying the groundwork and you know the time to build the relationships is before you need the money right correct 100 percent so and that's why chris i'm wanting to do the social media you know me and my past, Christopher, and it's it's I'm encouraging. I'm inspirational. It's about a year ago I started doing it and I got off of it. But in that process, I had the Chick-fil-A guys approach me because I was saying, hey, why don't you buy a house with us? And the guy called me up. Another former student out of Atlanta, Georgia said, hey, I see what you're doing. I've got cash. I'd love to be a part. How could I do it? Right. Right. Because ultimately it comes down to relationships and you worked hard. When I, I remember you said you called 16 brokers and none of them paid attention to you, but then you, you know, the fourth or fifth call on those 16 brokers or whatever number, you know, that's 80 calls. And I yeah. think a lot of people make two or three calls, get rejected and say, this isn't for me. Right. Yeah. That's not this business. So, so now you're at, you, you closed your fourth. Correct. So real quickly, cause I know you'll have them. Acquisitions price on number one was what? 2.9 million. Number two was what? 2.2 million. Number three? 8.45 million. Number four? 7.2 million. So, you know, people out there going, I just can't do that. But it's baby steps, when you right? Think about it, it's just, it is like it's a high number. I mean, it's a, I purchased over $20 million of real estate in the last two and a half years. But you didn't raise $20 million to do it. No. Mm-mm. What did you round figure? Uh, what did you raise? Close to 10. It's been 10. close to 10 total. But that's including rehab. That's that's everything. Yep. Full raises. So at what point in the process did you quit your corporate job? That was actually just recently. Uh, I, I left in August of 2020. 
to focus full time on my three current deals uh, with dealing with all the COVID issues and trying. I knew I was going to refinance and also sell one, and then also going uh, full out for my fourth property. Chad, we had a long conversation about this on the phone one day, me and Christopher, and he says, "Hey, man," and I'm, I'm in his life, and so I felt it an honor that he called and we were talking. He's like, "Hey, I'm." I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to leaving, but you know, I'd like to be the one to publicly say it. So don't talk about it or anything. And so me and my wife were praying about it. So I figured, you know, I'd hear from him in 30, 60, 90 days, <laughs> going back next week. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to the prayer was loud and clear. It was. <laughs> it was. That's awesome. So, you know, for some people listening to your story, they'd be like, over 200 units, a lot of equity in the units. I'm going to kick my feet up, right? It's time to live large. Mm -hmm. So for you, what is your driving force? I love that you quit your day job to focus on the real estate mm -hmm. and push that business further. What is, what is it that gets you up in the morning, fired up and ready to keep, keep working at it? Yeah, it's 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 changed a little bit. So the the initial was um, for to support my family to to be as successful as I could, um, show my son, you know, and uh, good leadership, and um, just get, give him something to look up to, and uh, have more time with my family, and then obviously money. You know, I, I did it for for the money initially out the gate, and it's since changed a little bit. All those still remain in place, but. And I didn't realize this until shortly after the first deal. So the one in Victoria, I bought it, um, went in there and, you know, I was just driven by getting out of corporate America and making money and, and, and providing for my family and those type things. And then shortly after the first one, went in there and did the rehab and uh, made a lot of improvements to the property. And what I like to do, and I went in this first one and I've done it on all mine, is I like to create, create a true community. Um, by improving the property, adding amenities, improving the interiors that everybody's living in and having community events. We, we try to do monthly community events. We do raffles where I give gift cards away. I've given a TV away before, um, all those type of things. And it, it creates a community on site for everybody there. And uh, where it really hit me was we were there one time and I had a family of little kids and they were all playing on the playground set that I installed the week before. And I saw them playing and it was just like a moment of like, oh my gosh, like that's really cool. It makes you feel really good inside. And it became a, a larger picture uh, than just that original, what, what it started out as. And um, I, I'm trying to do that and continue that at all of my properties. And I feel it comes back to you in the end. You know, you get rewarded financially and everything else that, that comes, but you're also improving people's lives of every resident that's on site there. So what is it? Have you defined what that feeling was when you saw those kids? What is that thing that's more than just money? It just uh, it, it's a it's a there's a greater good at stake. Um, it's it's uh, it's making an impact on the world, and you know you, you you try to affect as many as you can uh, people's lives, and this is a way that I can do it in a small way, and then hopefully over time keep getting larger and larger and larger and making it even more impactful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So often we talk about numbers, you know, 200 some doors and this much rent. And but in reality, those doors are families. You know, right. that's over 200 families you're impacting day in and day out and really affecting their life. Right. Um, the place that you live is a major impact on how your family's life functions. So I love I love that focusing on the impact that you're making in the community and that's huge. Yeah. Well, we we live in a very calloused society and after 2020 and the election, uh, my wife and I had talked just a lot about, you know, we had to do a lot of takeout, right? Because of the whole thing and uh, nobody got our orders right. It's a joke in the Mayfield family. Like I have, you know, I have five kids and they're just like, nobody gets it right. Yeah. Nobody cares when you tell them that they did it wrong. They just give you an excuse of they're busy or, or what. And, and it just, there's just a lack of um, personal accountability and, you know, and what, and, and we're, and you know, this Christopher, cause you're dealing in multi um, affordable housing is, is we got an issue, right. you know, and more and more people are going to have to be in smaller and smaller types of properties. And so I see, I hear when you're doing what you're doing, you're creating uh, a sticky community, right? Mm -hmm. I can go down the road and get another apartment. Right. But you're trying to create sticky 
uh, moments, sticky opportunities to say this this ownership takes care of us. They're they're causing us to come outside and, and interact with each other, which we all know if you form community, it's going to be much harder to leave. Right. Yeah. And they bring in family members and friends and referrals. And so let me ask you that you are about to leave. What is, you know, you're from Houston. You live in Houston. Your wife, where's she from? She's from Houston as well. Okay. So how difficult or why even consider making this move down South uh, to New Braunfels? It it is a very difficult decision and um, it's kind of a leap of faith that we're doing. We're moving to New Braunfels, Texas in May of 2021. So coming up here in the next couple of months and we don't have any family, no friends. There's no one there that we know, but it's a strategic decision of what we're doing to be in, centralized within Central Texas. Uh, I'm now 25 minutes from San Marcos, one of my properties. The new property is in San Antonio, Texas that I just closed on this week. That's about 30 minute drive. So I'm closer to those. And then all future properties, uh, my, my focus is on Central Texas anything between San Antonio and Austin and those surrounding markets. So I just wanted to be there and be readily available to pounce and move forward. And Chad, you don't know this, but he won't admit it, but it's just a beautiful part of country than Houston. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to the hill country, baby. That's part of God's country. It's really pretty. It is. (laughs) That's sharp. Hire me as an assistant and I'll come on down. You won't have to twist my arm at all to leave here to come to Texas. So, uh, Christopher, for everybody listening who, you know, is wanting to get their first deal or maybe wanting to scale a little bit, um, really trying to get their business off the ground, what would be some advice you'd give them about those first steps? Yeah, the, that's a good question. And the advice that I would give now, knowing what I know down the road here um, in a few years experience and acquiring four deals is I would do some self-reflection first of all. And I would consider, is this really what you want to do? Do you want to be the syndicator? Do you want to be the one that does all this and have all this stress and have this risk factor and and take other people's money? Because that's something that a lot of people don't think about and consider. And I really didn't at the beginning either, but you're taking someone's $50,000, $100,000 of their family money, their hard-earned savings, and that's riding on you day in, day out. And if you fail and lose some of their money or all of their money, that's on you. And that's a lot of stress and that's a lot that people need to take on, but it's also very rewarding as well. So they need to consider, is that, is that something that they want to go or is it the passive investing side? And just, uh, you know, maybe starting and learning that way and seeing, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with either side of, of the boat, but uh, networking, getting involved into events, talking to people, watching things like this, um, whether it's a group like I joined, I, you know, I have very high things to say about Lifestyles Unlimited. They help propel me to where I am today. It's a, it's a great mentor and uh, an educational platform for people. Um, so if, if something locally, meetups, just get involved, get engaged and, and get into as many things as you can and, and take action. That is the number one thing. People always say it, you hear it all the time, but you, if you overanalyze, you'll, you'll never get things done. Uh, there's always a reason to not do something or to not do a deal. I could have stepped away from all four of these deals um, by something, but you have to take action. You have to move forward and keep going. <laughs> right. Hi, there we go. What a tie-in, man. <laughs> that's awesome. That that's definitely encouraging. I heard uh, Grant Cardone recently. He was talking about you know the just do it, the Nike slogan, but he added now. You know, yeah. don't think about it. Don't uh, hesitate when the opportunities there. Just do it now. I like it. So. And, and just for a, 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 an asterisk right there, I totally agree. It, hopefully you heard Chris kept saying he was conservative. He was conservative. He said the word conservative two or three times. He's he's doing all of his due diligence and then he's jumping, mm-hmm. right? He's not basing anything on emotion. Right. He's betting on himself and he's betting on the numbers. But And I just say that because I hear a lot of guys, uh, a lot of investors, I should say, they, they start to creep into emotionally. I think I can do, hey, it's not about emotionally what you can do. It's about the numbers. And it's about, in my case, the motivation of the seller. And it's the, about the return of investment. That's it. Don't, don't, the emotional comes after you know you've done a great deal, like Christopher said, and you see the kids playing on the prairie playground. That's great. 
create a great single family property, create a great multifamily. That can be the emotional, but on the front end, um, take all of that out and make it business. Yeah. You know? If I can expand on that, I, I absolutely love what you said because that is 100% accurate and um, the numbers don't lie. That's what I always say. And that's what real estate is about. And I have underwrote hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand deals. I don't even know over these last few years and I've done four. So um, there's been, there's a lot of time and effort. Um, I like uh, numbers and statistics and analytics and looking at things and um, you just got to take the time. And, and when something looks right and makes right, and you've put the time and effort to verify that, then you can move forward. Awesome. So uh, Christopher, I really appreciate having you on. I feel like I could just keep asking more, <laughs> more questions about it. I love, love your story and everything you have going on. For other people, people listening, watching, who want to hear more about your story or follow you as you continue to build your business, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, well, thank you very much. I do appreciate that. And I do have an Instagram. It's at Primetime Investments. And uh, I encourage you to get on there. I share uh, for the, I started it for my investors, but you know, it's also for other people just trying to, to see what we're up to and what's going on. And I share videos and before and after pictures of what I'm doing at all of my properties. So uh, I would encourage you to go check that out. It's at Primetime Investments on Instagram. And can I encourage you, um, uh, Turn on your phone for 30 seconds at a time, three or four times during the week, and just drop 30 seconds of knowledge. You have a wealth of knowledge. I'm around a lot of different people that would love to just once a day hear 30 seconds of something you're doing so that they could just pocket it for later because you're you're doing something that so many people have a desire and they just need to see that it can be done. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That is good advice. Thank you. All right. Well, really appreciate your time, guys. Love the discussion. Christopher, great meeting you and look forward to seeing what is in store. I know you there are big things on the horizon. So yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Very nice meeting you too. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Enjoy the rest of the day. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.